You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Get Positive Results in Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Teodi Anderson. Thanks for joining us today. Today, we're going to be talking about when good people make bad dogs. Our last podcast was when good people love bad dogs, and we got some pretty good, interesting comments on the Facebook page. We're going to recap that, and we're going to talk about some of the common mistakes I see in people creating problems in their dogs. I'm not talking about the obvious ones, like if you abuse them, if you beat them and turn them into these terrible beasts. We're talking about people with really good intentions that accidentally end up with behavior problems just because they didn't know that what they were doing was contributing to them. So we will be talking about all of that and more when we continue here on Pet Life Radio. We'll be right back right after these messages. Stay tuned. It's dinner time in America, where more pet parents trust PetSmart for natural and expert recommended foods than any place else. And now, we've added more than 100 new varieties to our already wide selection of your favorite brands, like Simply Nourish, Authority, Wellness, Science Diet, and more. Do what's best for your pet. At PetSmart, happiness in store. Go to PetSmartDeal.com to find out this week's coupon code and save up to 30% on food, treats, toys, and more. And get free shipping on orders of $49. Go to PetSmartDeal.com. P-E-T-S-M-A-R-T-D-E-A-L.com. Pet Life Radio, the number one pet radio network on the planet, joins forces with iHeartRadio to put the power of your pets in your pocket. Awesome. Download the iHeartRadio app and rock Pet Life Radio on your phone, on your tablet, on your Xbox, in your car. Pet talk, pet tunes, and fun pet times. Pet Life Radio and iHeartRadio. Positively possum. Let's talk pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Get Positive Results. I'm your host, Teodi Anderson, and we're here on Pet Life Radio. Our last podcast, and if you haven't had a chance to hear it, I hope that you will tune in. It was called When Good People Choose Bad Dogs. And basically, we were talking about some dogs that had made the media, national media lately, that were very aggressive. And people came out of the woodwork trying to adopt these dogs. What makes good people want to adopt bad dogs? And it's not the dog's fault. Don't get me wrong that they ended up like this. A lot of things contribute to that. We're going to be talking about some of that today. But these are dogs that have bad behavior, that behaviors that are not desirable, especially when it comes to truly, truly aggressive behavior. These were dangerous dogs. And in the case of a viral video with a dog that pulled a small child off a tricycle and attacked him, that dog had over 200 offers to adopt him. And there are all these wonderful dogs that are sitting in shelters that don't have people waiting to adopt him. So what is it about people that make them want these dogs? Well, 
we didn't come up with any specific answers, of course. We just had a lot of theories, but it was really interesting discussion, and I really enjoyed getting some feedback, again, on that Facebook page, which, by the way, is facebook.com slash positive results. And some people posted about their own experiences. And I just wanted to give a shout out to a few of those folks who took the time to write. Kelsey Gidley wrote that she took on a dog knowing it was going to be a lot of work, but she had a lot, a group of people that she trusted to help her when she was out of her depth with him and that it was a family effort. And I love that comment because this is a person who kind of knew what she was getting into. She knew that the dog was dangerous or had behavioral problems, but she had a team of people, I believe in an earlier post, she had posted perhaps a veterinary behaviorist as well, who were going to help her with this dog, and that her entire family was on board. That is so important, because a lot of times when I go into homes with dogs with behavior problems for my private lessons, there's a real real tension in the family. It may be that the dog is the mom's dog and she loves this dog and wants to do everything for the dog, but the husband is ready to get rid of the dog or vice versa. Maybe it was a dog that the husband brought into the relationship and the wife is just not all that invested in a dog, especially with one with behavior problems. So it's hard enough when you have a normal average dog to get the whole family on board with feeding and scheduling and potty schedules and taking it to the vet and making sure it gets exercise, let alone if you have a dog with behavior problems. So it really, really was a good point, I thought, that her whole family was on board. Another person who brought a really good point to our attention was Audrey Anlow, and she wrote, as for the highly adoptable, professionally evaluated dogs sitting in shelters, when was the last time they made headlines? How about the numerous shelter mutts who only needed to live in their adopters' homes for the required period before sailing through their therapy dog evaluations and sharing their love with those most in need? The shelter mutts who became champions in AKC companion events. The shelter mutts who were out there every day saving people's lives as search and rescue canines. Most people simply don't see the already perfect pets being killed every day. The only dogs in need they see are the ones on TV. Another excellent point. Unfortunately, the media is the media, and the only way that many animals are going to get on the news is if they have either survived something horrible, like a burning building or coming out of a well or something just horrific that these poor animals have survived, and then people hear about them and want to adopt them, or they've attacked people and they're making it in the news. You don't ever hear about, you know, today in the news, tens of thousands of children came home to their beloved family pets, they played ball, and no one got bit. You don't hear that. And uh, that's a shame because there are some wonderful animals out there. They just don't warrant TV interest or radio interest or, or other media interest. So be sure when you are looking for your next family pet that you don't overlook those little quiet ones <laughs> that don't create a problem with their behavior problems because those are the best ones to bring home. I'm sure we will be talking about that in a future podcast. But in any case, great comments on the Facebook page. Really appreciate that. And some other comments, people shared the post with their friends on Facebook, and we appreciate that here at Pet Life Radio. So if you've got good people falling in love with these bad dogs, you also have incidents where good people make the bad dogs. And it's always a tricky thing as a trainer when you come into somebody's home and they're telling you about their dog's problems and it's a very delicate thing. You don't want to say, well, you know this is all your fault. I mean, sometimes I don't have to. Sometimes the first thing they'll say is, we did this, didn't we? And I'm like, yeah, 
yeah, you did. Um, but we can fix it. But, you know, yes, you did. So a lot of times they will confess and they will know that they contributed to the problem. But sometimes they don't. And again, it becomes a delicate balance when you try to explain people very politely that they are contributing to the problem. And the reason why the dog has these behavior problems is because of things that they did or things that the people didn't do. And so I'm going to go over my top reasons that I see in my training practice for the reasons why people accidentally make bad dogs. And again, we're not talking about the obvious stuff when they're really cruel and awful and that's why the dog lashes out. We're talking about some common mistakes that I think that it just seems to be over the years of all this work that I've done with behavioral issues that are pretty common that people just don't understand that is contributing to the problem. So we will be talking about that when we come back. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. Dogs leave fur wherever they go. It collects all over the home. There are many tools designed to stop dog hair spreading, but their effectiveness varies, and afterwards you have to clean the tool, then the floor. With the Dyson Groom Tool, you simply deploy the bristles, then gently brush the coat. Loose fur is removed, while dead skin and allergens are captured by the vacuum. And to clean up, you simply release the trigger. To get this awesome Dyson Groom Tool, go to DysonDeals.com. That's DysonDeals.com. Hi, this is Jody Miller-Young from Bark and Swagger. Tune in for everything pet fashion and more. From fashion tips and runway trends, products and designs I love, to fabulous home decor for your furry friend, you'll find it all here. Be the first to discover the new. So what are you waiting for? Find me on Pet Life Radio. And remember, when fierce fashion calls, bark and swagger. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Get Positive Results on Pet Life Radio. I'm Teodi Anderson, and I'm going to be sharing with you the common mistakes I see when people create bad dogs. I think the first one is not recognizing there's a problem in the first place. I was doing a private lesson once, and the first thing I do is I take a full history, a canine assessment, a full history of when the problem started and what people think the triggers are, and I just ask tons of questions. It's my detective role. And I came in, and I said, well, all right, well, um, we need a place to sit down. I need to take some notes. And they said, sure, you can come to the kitchen table. So I sat at the kitchen table and I took out my notes and I'm starting to write and starting to ask questions. And their dachshund jumped up on the kitchen table and starts just walking around. And they didn't say a word. And I'm thinking, this is a problem. Could you please get your dog off the table? I was like, did you not realize that this is not really desirable behavior? They called me in on something completely different. But the dog was just hopping up all sorts of things. Now, It was impressive that those little short legs of the dachshund made it up to the kitchen table. Don't get me wrong. But that really was an issue. And I asked them, I said, does he do this when you have meals? Oh, yeah, yeah. And they didn't like it. It's not like they thought that was great or that they encouraged him to do that. But they didn't realize that by allowing him to do it over and over again that they were contributing to that issue. Another common one that I see 
is when people think it's cute when their dogs growl over stuff. And that just, ugh, nothing gets the blood pressure going of a dog trainer more when you see a video on YouTube of a dog that is resource guarding. That's what it's called when a dog guards its toys or food or bones or, or people. And people post that it's funny. And then you look at the comments on YouTube and I just get increasingly horrified that the people think that it's awesome that the dog does that and they go, oh my gosh, that's just like my dog. He does it too. And I'm like, no, no, this is not good. It isn't cute when dogs growl over things. It's not funny. And it doesn't matter if it's a small dog or a large dog. There are some people who would find it frightening in a Rottweiler, but when their little Chihuahua does it, isn't that adorable? And Chihuahuas can bite and Chihuahuas have teeth and they can also incur damage, especially to children. So it's not funny when the little ones do it. But some people think it's funny when the big ones do it too. They have these big, huge, muscular dogs growling and people think it's hysterical. It is not. It is not. And what happens is that this behavior goes on and on and on and it escalates and eventually someone's going to get bitten. And that's when I get called in. And then I find out that this has been a game. For years, there are some people that even play deliberate keep away games, not where the dog is not upset about it, but this is where the dog is truly getting upset, where the person starts with their hand like a crab and moves towards the toy and the dog is growling and growling and getting all tense and the fur is going up between their shoulder blades and people think that's funny because they're tormenting this dog. That dog is seriously concerned about losing that item. And sooner or later, the dog is going to figure out that people aren't listening to him and he's going to escalate that behavior. And that's when children get bitten and it's so preventable and it could have been fixed, but this is habit because people think it's amusing. So know that that is not a funny thing. That is enough to just break my heart because I know that bad things are going to happen and it won't be the dog's fault because these people just didn't know. But that is not a funny thing. A lot of times, too, people don't recognize shyness or fear in their dogs. I'll go to class. I have group classes as well as private lessons. And there'll be a little dog hiding under the chair. And I'll say, oh, we have a shy baby. And people will be like, oh, he's not shy. I'm like, yeah, he is. This is shy. The dog is trembling. His ears are down. He has concerns. It is a shy behavior. So a lot of times people will have a dog and just not know enough about canine behavior. That's not unusual. If you've never been educated in it, you may not recognize it. The problem is if you don't recognize it, you don't react appropriately for the situation. I was called in on a case once where it was the girlfriend's dog and the boyfriend did not have a good relationship with this dog. It was a little hound mix. And she had started to recognize that the dog was afraid. The boyfriend thought the dog was just stubborn, but she was starting to starting to recognize that maybe it wasn't stubbornness. Maybe the dog was afraid and the dog was terrified of thunder and fireworks and the dog would cower. The ears would be down. The dog would tremble. The dog would try to go hide in the bathroom and they were going to a fireworks display in their neighborhood and she said they were going to bring the dog. I know. I know. But they brought the dog and the dog started to back up. So it's at the end of this leash, it's backing up. And the boyfriend got upset because he thought that the dog was being stubborn and he grabbed the dog's collar to drag it closer to the fireworks and the dog nailed him. The dog absolutely bit the guy. And again, it could have been prevented. 
it wasn't stubborn behavior. It was terror. And if he had only been educated in canine behavior, he would have known that it was not a great situation to drag the dog towards the very thing that the dog was terrified of. So we get called in on these types of cases a lot, unfortunately. We get called in for one thing, and then we find out it's something else. Another example is got a call for a house training problem. It was a little Yorkie peeing in the house. Very annoying to the family. They were tired of cleaning the carpet all the time. Very frustrated, which I completely understand. So we came in, and after we did our assessment, the reason why the dog was peeing in the house was not necessarily because it hadn't been house trained. They had an underground fence system, an electric underground fence system. And every time the dog went out, the dog was terrified. Watched the dog outside as soon as the dog stepped outside, trembling, cowering, lip licking, head turning. These are all signs of stress in dogs, by the way. And the dog was terrified because of this underground electric fence. The dog had approached the border at one time and gotten zapped. And the dog associated it with the grass. The dog was petrified of grass, absolutely petrified of grass. The dog didn't understand that the boundary of the property, which happens a lot, by the way, is what caused the shock through the collar into the dog. What the dog thought was the grass did it. And so the dog says, I'm not going to go pee out there because I'm going to die. So I'm just going to stay and pee inside. And so they thought it was a house training problem. But what it really was was something a lot more serious. The dog had a lot of fear issues. So we had to really work with them to understand the dog and have a little bit more patience for the house training problem until we could help the dog understand that the outdoors was not a scary place after all. So recognizing that the behavior is not something else, recognizing that the dog is acting incorrectly or acting badly is really important because if you call me in early, I can usually help you so much easier than waiting. Sometimes things that start as bad behavior then becomes habit. Your dog starts woofing at things it sees out through front window. Well, after three years of that, it's hard to break. (laughs) It gets much harder to break, just like our habits are harder to break. Well, it gets harder to break those habits afterward. And what usually happens is something happens to trigger a call to me. And when I am doing my evaluation, I find out, well, how long has this been going on? And sometimes I find out years. I think one of my records is nine years. This dog had been doing something for nine years. I said, well, why today? Why did you decide today? And it's usually something in the environment or something in the person's life that finally made them realize that this was not something they could put up with any longer or that it was a problem. Sometimes it's pregnancy. People are about to have a baby and then they realize that growling dog who growls over all his toys might not be a good idea and maybe it's not so cute and they're expecting a baby in a couple months. Sometimes they're getting a new dog. And the dog has a history of aggression towards other dogs, but they have a son or daughter moving back into the home and they're bringing a dog with them or they want to get a new puppy. And then they realize, oh, we might have a problem here. Or in the really sad cases, the dog has bitten someone. The behavior has escalated and the dog has finally bitten someone and then they call me. So if you know or have friends who have these behaviors in these dogs, please tell them to get help early because we want to make sure that we help them before the problem becomes habit, before the problem escalates into something terrible, and they don't go away on their own. A lot of behavior problems don't go away on their own. And sometimes people don't call me because of that. They thought, well, you know, he growled a couple times over his bone, but I thought it would go away and it didn't. It doesn't go away. The second, I think, most common in what I see 
reasons why good people turn dogs bad is a lack of socialization. And if you've heard some of my previous podcasts, I'm sure you're thinking, Teodi, socialization again, enough with the socialization. Your name should be socialization. I'm sorry, but I can't emphasize it enough. It really is important. Up until about 16-ish weeks of age, there's some debate whether it's 12 or 20. I'm going to split the middle and say 16. Up until birth to 16 weeks is a critical socialization period for puppies. And the things that they're exposed to affect them for the rest of their life. So if a puppy hasn't been adequately socialized and properly socialized, then it could have negative experiences that it carries into adulthood. Basically, if the dog has never been around children or around men or around certain things in the house, for example, if it was raised in a kennel and you bring it inside and you're running the hairdryer and the vacuum cleaner and the dog freaks out because it's never been around those things before, it can really impact them and cause fear and aggression problems later. I was involved in a very sad case years ago. I was involved in evaluating dogs that were taken from a pit bull fighting ring. And they called me in to evaluate the dogs to see if they would be suitable for adoption. And a local TV crew, awesome TV crew, they were very helpful, wanted to film it. I said, as long as you don't get in the way, you can come. I would love for you to see this, but you just can't affect the outcome of the test. And they were awesome. They stayed to the side and and they were very, very, very helpful and very supportive. And one by one, we brought in these pit bulls. And one of the tests that I administered was just a petting test. You just pet the dog. And it was the saddest thing you've ever seen. Here are these pit bulls, and I started petting them, and they're flinching the entire time. I mean, one of the little girls, if she could have crawled under the ground, she would have. She kept, Every time I would pet her, she would just flinch as if I had beaten her. And I'm very gentle in these tests, trust me. I'm not beating the dogs by any means. I'm just petting them like you would pet a dog, a dog that you loved. And what this told me, these dogs were fairly young, but they were adolescents. Some of them were maybe about one or two years old. They were past puppyhood. There was a severe lack of proper socialization to people. And it wasn't necessarily that these dogs had been beaten or abused. They were in fairly decent physical health. They didn't have any signs. Some of them had signs of dog fights, but they didn't look like they'd been beaten by people. There were no signs that the veterinarian could find of broken ribs and you know, signs of kicking and terrible things like that. They just hadn't been socialized well to people. So the thought of a person petting them was terrifying to them. And how sad is that? I did appreciate the irony of the time, but here I am testing pit bulls who were supposed to scare everybody, and the pit bull was much more scared of me than I was of it. It really was a heartbreaking situation. The thing is that those pit bulls, those particular pit bulls, were lovely with other dogs, especially each other. And I do see that in rescue a good bit. Sometimes I see it with purposely bred dogs as well, but a lot of times, if a puppy is only raised with other dogs... That's what it bonds with. A dog is going to bond the most with what it spends the most time with. So if you have a bunch of pit bulls that are chained to a bunch of trees and they spend all their time together, in general, these dogs are going to like each other, but people are going to be scary because probably the only time they saw somebody was if he came out probably once a day, threw some food in a bowl and left. You know, they didn't spend time cuddling them and loving them and reading them stories and, you know, brushing them. And that just didn't happen to these poor dogs. So people were really, really scary to these pibbles. And it was just really, really a sad situation. Some of those dogs ended up in wonderful homes that rehabilitated them. But it took a lot of work, 
a lot of work. And some of that, some of those types of scars just don't go away, depending on the dog. Some of them will probably be perpetually shy towards people. But uh, it just goes to show what a lack of socialization will do. They were really great with other dogs, but they're not good with people. And I get calls on that where somebody says, you know, I have a dog and he loves my other dog, but he won't come near my husband. Well, he probably really wasn't socialized well with men during that critical socialization period. The third most common way to make a bad dog, and I do believe that people do it unintentionally, is, of course, harsh training methods. If you use a lot of punishment-based training methods, we got a call on, and this has happened more than once, but I'll use this one specific mix as an example. It was a German Shepherd mix, and he had been taught on a prong collar, and that's the pinch collar that digs into the neck. And he could sit and down. He did excellent obedience. He was a very obedient dog, but they couldn't walk him. Because every time they walked him out in the neighborhood and he saw another dog, he would lunge and growl and he would just he was very reactive towards other dogs. Well, in doing the history, I found out that the behavior had gotten worse. What I diagnosed it with in this particular case was the dog was frightened of other dogs. His body language actually was very, very frightened. And some dogs will fight, some will flee, some will shut down. This dog thought it was better to have a good offense as a good defense. He says, I'm going to get that other dog before it gets me. And he had been attacked in the past by other dogs, so he had some history there. So he was afraid of the other dogs. Well, when he would explain that he was afraid, he would start to growl as it first started. They would correct him with the prong collar. So they would do the punishment with the prong collar. Well, if you have a dog that's afraid, what is that going to do? It's going to convince him he really should be afraid because every time he sees another dog and he growls by growling is wonderful communication. He growls saying, hey, that dog is making me nervous. And he got yanked. He associated with the other dog. So now he's like, what? Now I know this is going to happen because I see another dog. So he would tense. It just escalated, got much, much worse. We helped that dog quite a bit. But it was that collar that contributed to the problem. You can absolutely set boundaries and rules without using physical punishment. You absolutely can. And I do believe that the majority of my clients just don't know any better. And it's really, really important, and it can be very challenging, to find someone who's going to lead you in the right direction. Just as when we are surfing Dr. Google to find out what's wrong with us every time we have a symptom, Dr. Google will have you convinced that you've got the plague, and you may actually just have a sinus infection. But you have to make sure that your sources are valid. Uh, There's a big difference, for example, if you are trying to do your taxes for going to a CPA than to Uncle Joe's tax advice and small engine repair website. You want to make sure that you're getting a really reliable source. And it is a responsibility on the part of trainers to be a reliable source and be educated in the latest canine behavior. I'm about to teach a certificate class to uh, new dog trainers for the Association of Professional Dog Trainers on creating and teaching successful group classes. And one of the things that I emphasize in that class is that when you are an instructor, you have a tremendous responsibility to the people and the dogs in your class. People trust you to be the expert, so you better step up to the plate and make sure that you are. Unfortunately, so many stories of people who have turned their dog over, turned that leash over, and other animals as well, to somebody who was allegedly an expert and then regretted it. And that just makes me so mad at the industry that people are doing that out there. I remember many years ago, there was a woman who swore she would never go back to a class again. Not mine, thank goodness. She had a little West Highland White Terrier, and these classes were in a parking garage, which can be scary 
for some people, especially at night, let alone some of the dogs. It was very echoey and there was lots of smells in the floor and it was, some dogs were not happy to be there in this environment. And he was a very timid little Westie and they were working on heel, a competition heel where the dog stays right by your side. And the instructor said, can I demo with your dog? And she said, sure. And she handed the leash over and the dog put the brakes on. The dog said, I don't know you. I don't want to go with you. I want to stay with my mama. And the instructor tied the dog's leash to his leg and dragged him around in a circle. And the dog got so terrified that he peed all over himself and the instructor. That's a horrible thing. It's a horrible thing. But that, was it that woman's fault? No. She didn't know. She thought she was turning it over to someone who would treat her dog with respect. And unfortunately, she didn't. And so we really have to do research for trainers and any kind of expert that you turn your animal over. And again, it's not just dogs. I had dinner this weekend with a new friend who has horses. And she was talking about how a trainer just really made her horse's issues much, much worse. And she had to put a stop to it. And I gave her credit for putting a stop to it because not everybody knows that that's not okay. So you have to know that. A couple warning signs. If you have a trainer that believes in dominance theory, yeah, you got to go in the opposite direction. There are several well-renowned veterinary associations, veterinary behavior associations that have said, please don't use trainers who use dominance theory as the basis of all their training, mainly because it's misguided. A lot of people want to say that dogs are wolves and this is how wolves behave. So this is how dogs should behave. Well, I'm thinking that a pack of pugs are not going to take down a caribou anytime soon. Plus, there's new studies that show that dogs may not have come from wolves in the first place. But even if they did, they're not the same anymore. We have bred it completely out of them. Dogs and wolves are not the same. They do share some characteristics, absolutely. But a lot of the things involved with training absolutely do not apply. I have spent time at Wolf Park in Battleground, Indiana. Highly recommend the place. It is a place where they are completely devoted to wolves in their care, and they have a wonderful research facility there and educational program where they educate people about wolves. After you've gone through training and signed a disability waiver, you get to go in with some of the wolves as well, and I've done that several times, and it's just really, really amazing place, but they help promote the truth about what wolves are. And there's a lot of people that come all over the world to Wolf Park to study wolves. They are domesticated there, but they are not tame. You can't tame a wolf. You can make it much more social to people with a certain protocol, but you cannot tame them. And these wolves are just amazing, amazing. But some of the things that I hear about people where you should always eat first, because in the pack of wolves, the alpha eats first. So I have poor clients like searching the pantry for some peanuts or crackers just to eat a cracker so they can feed their dog and make sure that they eat first. This is ridiculous. It is not necessary. And in actuality, the alpha wolf doesn't always eat first. The alpha wolf sometimes lets the babies eat first because they're at the most risk of perishing. So it's not true that the alpha wolf eats first. Plus, the whole thing about the alpha role where you pin the dog on the ground and show it who's the boss is discounted and not true as well. A submissive wolf, when presenting itself to a higher ranked wolf, will roll himself over. The alpha wolf does not take his paws and flip his comrade over and stare at him. That's not how it works at all. Plus, your dog knows you're not a wolf. 
and he knows you're not another dog. That's why he comes to you every night and stares at you so you and your opposable thumbs will go to the pantry and open the pantry door because he can't get in it and he wants you to feed him. So they know that we're not the same as they are. So it's really discounted and it can really cause a lot of behavioral problems. If you think about a true wolf pack anyway, the main behaviors that they exhibit are to avoid conflict. If you have to depend on your buddies to take down that caribou, it doesn't do you any good if you beat them up so much that they can't function. You guys have to work together in order to bring that animal down. So most of the behaviors that wolves exhibit are to avoid conflict, not to create it. They have to depend on each other to eat. And I think a lot of that wolf theory has really influenced a lot of early dog training, but it's still out there. I still run into it. Uh, It doesn't have to be adversarial between you and your dog. You should work as a team. It's not between us or them. It is definitely a team effort. So those are the three things that I think contribute the most to creating bad dogs. Hopefully you've not made any of those mistakes. I'm sure there are more. And if there are more that you would like to confess to, you are welcome to let us know. We do love to hear from you. You can find me on the web at getpositiveresults.com. That's P-A-W-S-I-T-I-V-E. Getpositiveresults.com. On Facebook at facebook.com slash positive results. And at Teodi at PetLifeRadio.com. That's T-E-O-T-I at PetLifeRadio.com. Once again, this has been Teodi Anderson. Thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate the producer's hard work in helping make this happen. And we will see you again on Get Positive Results on Pet Life Radio. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.